Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. That's like a, a universal principle. If you're, I always like to use the Fs, like you either are looking for fruit or fault. And guess what? If you look at people and you're looking for fault, you're always going to find it. And if you're looking at people and you're looking for fruit, guess what? You're always going to find it. If you're looking for the negative, if your perspective is always negative, then you will always find negative things to bother you. And if you are an optimist and you're looking for good things, guess what? You're always going to find it. The words blood, ritual, and sacrifice probably don't register as positive, uplifting words for most of us. But in this series about cleansing, those things have become commonplace. For us today, God's instructions to the people of Israel may be difficult to relate to. But as Pastor Daniel explains today, when Jesus came, those rituals changed. God's heart is the same, though, and we'll find continuity from then to now. Well, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Birth Rituals. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 12. Leviticus, chapter 12, as we continue our slow but much fun leisurely journey through the scriptures from Genesis. And if the Lord tarries and God gives me exceedingly long life, we'll make it to the book of Revelation by the end. But we're here in Leviticus chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Leviticus, it's the third book. You open up, we did the book of Genesis, we did the book of Exodus, and now we're here in the book of Leviticus. As we like to say, Leviticus is also most commonly known as the graveyard of your yearly Bible reading plan. So you normally get pretty good till about the end of Exodus, and then things seem to bog down, and before you know it, you're skipping all the way to Psalms. That's kind of the way it goes, and I'm not knocking it, because I've had that happen to me many, many times. But Leviticus is a deep book. There's a lot in it. It it has to do with the, the work of the priests, the Levites. That's where Leviticus comes from. It's the work or that which pertains to the priest. And we're in this series called Cleansing. And so if you recall, we've been seeing as we started the book of Leviticus, the sacrificial system. And we spent a lot of time talking about why the sacrificial system and how it's unique, how it's also the foundation for our understanding of of our belief in Jesus and all these different things. And we also saw how part of God's design for people to enter into his presence is that there needs to be a cleansing. There needs to be a cleansing. That because of the struggles of everyday life, because that we live in a broken world, we find ourselves being soiled by life, by our own decisions, by the decisions of others, by the world that we live in. And that in order to enter God's presence, we need to be cleansed. Now, I realize that in saying that, there is an inherent rub within 21st century Western culture that you say that in order to come into the presence of God, you need to be cleansed because by and large, the West in this generation kind of just believes that by nature of being human, 
then we automatically deserve access to God, right? And I like to call that spiritual entitlement because what's interesting is no other culture other than 21st century Western culture actually believes that. So it's a very specific set of goggles that our culture has received based on a lot of factors. We live in an entitlement-style generation. And think about the things that bother you about other people. Most often it's you, I deserve better than that. And don't get me wrong, sometimes people are just flat out wrong and you do deserve better than that. But other times you think you deserve something because you're entitled to it that actually God never promised anybody. And so it's one of the big struggles of our generation. It is a heart issue that we have. And when you take an entitlement mindset that the rules don't apply to me, I am deserving of free access to God no matter what I do because I am me and God likes me. When you have that type of a mentality and you and you're start talking about spirituality, people say, well, I, I can't understand why you think I need to believe in Jesus because I am human and I'm doing the best I can and I deserve a relationship with God. But listen, when, I'm going to package this for you, and this is powerful. When a relationship is broken, when it's broken, when two people are no longer functioning at a place of friendship, a place of reciprocity, or whatever the word we want to use is, when two people are, are not functioning there, something needs to give in order to bring them back together. Forgiveness needs to happen. And what humanity doesn't understand in the West today is that God has an issue with the way that we live our lives because God values our lives more than we do. God sees our lives and God says, every time you rebel against me, you hurt people. You sever relationships. You break people's hearts. You ruin my creation, whether it's human or otherwise. And God is saying, I value your life so much that I hold you accountable for that because I believe you're, you're more than that. You're better than that. I've created you for more than that. And so because of that, there is a severing in a relationship between humanity and God. And God's way of restoring that relationship is not to say, you work harder. Because God knows we can't work hard enough to restore the relationship. God said, look, you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. And ultimately, even in the book of Leviticus, God's plan was never to save somebody by the killing of animals. That was a temporary picture until God could do his fullness of work in the Lamb of God, his own son, Jesus Christ. And you and I have access and boldness with confidence in a relationship with God, not because of our performance, but because of God's performance for us in Jesus. So that idea that we need to be cleansed to come into the presence of God, that's already baked in, in the book of Leviticus, which was it's recounting events that took place probably 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. So we're talking 4,000 years ago, this reality that in order to come into the presence of God, there needs to be a cleansing. There needs to be a forgiveness that needs to happen. Now, We've been looking at all these different, like last week, remember we talked about to eat or not to eat. We looked at the kosher dietary laws, and, and it was amazing. So many people came up to me after, talked to me this week and said, Pastor Jim, I never thought about the reasoning why certain foods were said to be not acceptable. And then when we were talking about it, like, wow, this is pretty interesting. Now, what we're going to look at this week is equally as street level, and that's the simplicity of the rituals sur surrounding the birth of children. 
So just as we talked about, hey, food, very common part of life. For some of us, we really like to enjoy talking about it and enjoying it, you know, and childbirth is just a natural part of humanity. One of the first commandments in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply. So when God created Adam and Eve, the first he says, hey, be fruitful and multiply, have children. And so chapter 12 is specifically about the ritual surrounding the birth of a child and the cleansing that's needed for the readmittance of a mother or her child into the covenant community. Now, before we get into it, and I only have eight verses, and you might say, we're only going to do eight verses tonight. Absolutely, we're going to do eight verses tonight. Because these verses are controversial. Before we get into the controversy of the verses, I want to put forth a, a preposition or an idea, a proposition to each one of you, is that whatever you're looking for, you're going to find that's like a, a universal principle. If you're, I always like to use the Fs, like you either are looking for fruit or fault. And guess what? If you look at people and you're looking for fault, you're always going to find it. And if you're looking at people and you're looking for fruit, guess what? You're always going to find it. If you're looking for the negative, if your perspective is always negative, then you will always find negative things to bother you. And if you are an optimist and you're looking for good things, guess what? You're always going to find it. Part of it has to do with the way, the goggles through which we're viewing the world. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight, there is a lot of controversy because what you're going to find is that the purification for a woman when she has a daughter is twice as long than when she has a son. Right? That's what we're going to see. And we live in a day and age, especially when it comes to the Bible, Jesus, and Christianity, that people are just straight up looking for reasons not to believe it. Why? Because God holds us accountable for our lives. And people would rather not have it. God's morality is different from our culture's morality. So we better get rid of that. We better discredit it because we don't want to have to deal with it. So because people are looking for reasons to say this is a problem, what happens? They say, oh, there it is. The Bible is anti-woman because the purification period for a female child is twice as long as a male child. And guess what? If you're looking to find a problem, guess what you're going to do? You're going to find it. Or if you're saying, maybe God does not hate women. He created them in his image and likeness. And God is an anti-woman. And maybe there's something else at play. Maybe there's another story. And I'm here to tell you that if you're looking for that, guess what? You're going to find it. I'm going to teach that to you tonight. But I'm going to put right out there at the front, I realize there's some people who read Leviticus 12, if they ever read it, and they say, see, that's why I don't believe in the Bible. Why would God be so anti-woman that a woman needs to be purified for twice as long after having a female child? And if you want to find a negative interpretation, you want to find a, uh, um, a sexist interpretation, then you absolutely can. You, can. you can make it mean whatever you want. But maybe there's a deeper story at play. Maybe there is. And I'm going to try and explain that to you tonight. Now, I'm going to read you the whole chapter, and then we're going to break it down verse by verse. Look at what it says in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. 
she shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks. If in her customary impurity, or as in her customary impurity, and she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. When the days of her purification, verse 6, are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who was born a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. There it is, Leviticus 12. Now, before we start, I hope that you appreciate the beauty of when you teach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that you'll never hear a topical message on Leviticus 12 for any reason. Passages aren't going to choose that as part of their series. Hey, we're going to do Leviticus 12 today. Fun text for church. But the beauty of going verse by verse, book by book, line upon line, is that you end up having to talk about things that maybe wouldn't be any of our preferences, but there are great truths for us in this text. Now, we have to realize that everything about everything about the purification ritual has to do with one thing, and that has to do with blood. Everything about this has to do with blood. Remember, the blood of the animal is the purifying agent, that God accepts the blood of the sacrifice in, as a substitute for the blood of the person who committed the wrongdoing. In the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew mind, the life is in the blood. And if you think about it from a logical sense, your heart beats. And why is your heart beating so important? Because it pushes blood throughout your body, and that blood brings everything that your body needs in order to sustain itself. For the Jewish mind, for the Near Eastern mind, the idea that the life is in the blood, and we're going to read that in Leviticus 17, Leviticus 19, we find it picking up in Hebrews, and all through the Gospels, the need of the blood, because the blood is considered the lifeblood. Life is carried in the blood, and that's why there's prohibitions against drinking the blood of animals, because that was a very common pagan ritual. You say, I'm going to become one with this animal by drinking its blood, because the life is in the blood. So everything about the childbirthing purification process, you notice when they talk about the woman being unclean as in her customary impurity, what they're talking about is that when a woman has her normal menstrual cycle, that after that there is a period of impurity. Now, from the get-go, someone's going to say, well, why would that be considered unclean? Because here's the thing, God loves life. God loves life. We know that from cover to cover in the Bible. And every time a woman has a menstrual cycle and, and does not conceive, the opportunity for life is missed. And God values life that much. It, it, the potentiality for life 
that was there. And that's why God says, hey, when that happens, we missed a great opportunity. And that blood, because it's the lifeblood and the life is in it, and God is also, as we've been seeing, is concerned about cleanliness. How many people know that diseases are carried in blood? Bodily secretions, all these things, right? We know this stuff, right? And so there's a health component. There's a philosophical component to it. So for a woman, when she has her normal cycle and does not conceive a child, there is a flow of blood for a time. And then after that flow of blood, she's considered customarily impure as she waits to make sure everything is finished. And then there's a readmittance into the people of God because God is concerned about health. You got to remember, this is long before anybody realized that diseases were passed by blood. We've heard stories about blood transfusions of tainted blood. I mean, there's all sorts of, so there's, you see, there's a lot of different components here. But this idea that it's the flow of blood that's the issue. Now, when we jump in, in chapter 12, we begin in verse 2, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. So for seven days, for seven days after a woman has a male child, she is considered customarily impure. She's not allowed to go to the temple and worship because, and you gals who've had children, you know this, that after a child is born, you will have a constant flow of blood for, they say, up to about six weeks, sometimes longer. So after it, because there's been all of this um, expelling of uterus and placenta and blood and all these different things, that's considered, she should be separated from the people without readmittance for seven days. Now... For those of you women who had children, don't they tell you now that after you have a child, you shouldn't go out into public very much for about a week? Why? Because after your body goes through that, there's also a high susceptibility to disease. Your body has gone through a huge thing. It was created to do that, but there is a component of it that, like, I remember when Lynn was born, like, listen, don't go out for about a week. You just need to lay low, relax, don't have lots of visitors. Why? Because after your body goes through that, the woman has a higher susceptibility of disease, and in a culture not like ours, that's an antiseptic culture, with that constant flow of blood, there's also the possibility of any sort of issues being passed around through the community. And again, God is concerned about this because he's a holy God. So you see that this idea that after a woman has a child that she's unclean while she has this flow of blood, it's not like bonkers. It's really not. It's actually quite logical because our own medical professionals with all their degrees and research tell us the same thing. Tell us the same thing. So for seven days, she's unclean. As in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. So it's analogous. The afterbirth effect is analogous to just a normal menstrual cycle. Then notice what happens in verse 3. It says, and on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Now, this is interesting because what you have is you have now the idea that circumcision, she's unclean seven days, and then because her son's circumcision is on the eighth day, she's allowed to be readmitted so she can be part of this ritual. And you have to remember, circumcision was instituted by God in the family of Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 17. It was one of the signs, it was one of the signs that differentiated the the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from all the other nations. Now, if you were here when we studied the book of Genesis, 
We talked about some of the reasons why that was a differentiator. Now, leaving aside some of the medical benefits, and there are distinctive medical benefits to it. If you don't believe me, you can read it, but you may not want to Google it if you don't like to see drawings of male genitalia, but you, but you can Google it. There are medical benefits to circumcision, but it's a more of a philosophical reasoning because what is circumcision? It is cutting away the flesh, that piece, that which is unnecessary. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what God is doing in the lives of all of his kids. But remember, the prophet started saying it, and then Jesus said it. God's not looking for the circumcision of the skin. He's looking for the circumcision of the heart. So the sign of circumcision in a Hebrew male child was meant to be a symbol of a greater circumcision that has nothing to do with skin or genitalia. It has to do with the work that God wants to do in the human heart. Where God wants to say, look, I want to take away those parts of your heart that are unnecessary, that are not pleasing to me, that are not in accordance with the highest virtues of who I am and what I value. And if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God is in the process of circumcising your heart. Now, I know it's a vivid image. We might not like to enjoy using it, but God is cutting away things in our lives, things that we believe in, things that we value, things that we do. And God's saying, look, Yeah, you've always done that, but not anymore because you're my child. My kid doesn't do that. And you know that that breaks my heart. It breaks your heart. It hurts people. I want to get rid of that. So this this idea of the covenant of circumcision, it's about the work that God wants to do internally in you and I. And God does his work of circumcision in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. Now, if you're here today, and you're kind of feeling a little beat up in your Christian walk. And there's some people who are like, I just feel, I feel like, man, it's just too hard. You can imagine circumcision happens when you're eight days old in Jewish culture. And what's interesting is, because now we live in a day and age, and I need to get back to my point. But we live in a day and age where people say, you shouldn't circumcise your kids because that's mutilation. You're hurting your kids. They'll never recover from such a thing. And what's interesting is they talk about the sensitivity of that region. It doesn't happen until the ninth day. Fascinating. You read all this stuff. In medical journals, you're like, God knew this. So it doesn't actually hurt as much as you think it would, but as you get older, if you could imagine being circumcised, that would be really nasty. Just even the thought of it, all the guys are like, yo, Fusco, come on. Pastor Daniel, give us a break. But listen, when God circumcises your heart, that's not easy. It hurts sometimes. There's like... When God is cutting things out of our life, when God, the God who loves us and is for us is saying, look, I'm going to take that out of your life. Don't think that that's neat and tidy. It's meant to hurt a little bit because surgery hurts, heart surgery hurts. And so I believe that there's some people here today who you're in the midst of God circumcising your heart and it's just hard. And I'm here to tell you it is hard. Letting God And allowing God to transform your life is not neat. It's messy. Jesus is real. Circumcision for the children of Israel set them apart. Although it's still practiced today, Jesus shifted the importance from the physical to the spiritual. As Pastor Daniel spoke about the circumcision of the heart, God's cutting away of the excess in our lives. 
God is doing some amazing things with Jesus is Real Radio. It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel explains why God gave his people specific instructions for women specifically regarding childbirth. They may seem strange to us, but we'll understand God's intent. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is Real Radio.